Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 144. We have another short fantasy fiction double feature for you this week, consisting of two stories from returning authors. We'll begin with The Girl in the Windmill by Wendy Nickel, whom we featured back in episode 115. When Wendy isn't travelling in time, exploring magical islands or investigating mysterious phenomena, she enjoys a quiet life near Utah's Wasatch Mountains with her husband and sons. She has a degree in elementary education, a fondness for road trips, and a terrible habit of forgetting where she's left her cup of tea. Her short fiction has been published in AE, Daily Science Fiction and others, and she is a member of SFWA. Visit her website for more details via the link in our show notes. Wendy's story is read by Josie Babin. Josie was lucky to grow up with wizards and fey mentors and hobbits and fauns for companions. Keeping her head in the clouds allowed her to always be looking up and out and ahead, leading to an overdeveloped curiosity that she freely indulges to this day. As a grown-up, she gets to play in the ever-curious sandbox of medical science on a quest to cure evil diseases. In her spare time, she can be found keeping company with the San Diego sun or tormenting her two cats with attempted belly rubs. And now, let's pay a visit to The Girl in the Windmill. Marcia van Dijk lived in a windmill. At the age of ten, her father and mother perished at sea, and she was sent to live with her opa on the coast. Despite her grief, she grew to love him, and he taught her all about how to grind the village's grains and tend the enormous sails and gears that made the mill run. Her opa hadn't always run the mill, though. Each evening, by firelight, he would show Marcha the amazing feats of transformation that he used to perform all over the world. Oh, please do the mouse again, Marcha would plead, and Opal would smile broadly at his one-person audience and twitch his nose, 
His thick white mustache would grow thinner and wispier, and his ears would grow larger and fold inward. His old brown jacket would grow fuzzy like fur, and he'd shrink himself down to barely three inches tall. Only his eyes, his bright blue sparkling eyes, gave away his true identity. Then he'd scamper around March's feet, and she'd shriek and cover her eyes. When she opened them again, there he was, her opa, just the same as he'd always been. Other nights, he'd amuse her with stories about her parents. She'd never thought to ask them of their past while they were living. But now those tales were more dear to her than any made-up fairy tale. "'Tell me again how they met,' she'd ask, cupping her chin in her hands. "'Your mother loved to dance,' Oba would say, his eyes wistful and wet. "'Wherever I performed, she'd always come with me and dance for the kings and queens and princes.' She wore a white dress and would move like a swan across the stage, drawing the eye of everyone in the room. And that's how she met my father. Yeah, it is. He was but a young artist with nothing to offer her. So instead, he promised to make a sculpture of her as a wedding present, though he doubted he'd be able to capture even a fraction of her real beauty. He revealed the finished sculpture on their wedding day, and it was a perfect likeness of his bride. It was heralded near and far as the most beautiful piece of art ever seen. Wealthy lords and ladies flocked for miles around to ask your father to make sculptures for them. Marcha clasped her hands together, nearly bursting with pride. Yet, somehow... This picture of her father as a highly sought-after artist wasn't quite the childhood she'd remembered. Hers, instead, was a childhood of watery soups and small, dirt-floored cottages. What happened, Opa? Ah, well, Opa would say, shaking his head at the turn of events. It was a curse. That beautiful statue of your mother because no matter how beautifully he sculpted anything else, the patrons were always disappointed. Because no other work came near the loveliness and perfection of that sculpture. Soon his business dried up, and, as a final resort, he agreed to sell the sculpture of your mother to a far-off king. They traveled to the distant land to present the sculpture to him, and then set to sea again, their pockets filled with enough gold to live comfortably the rest of their years. And all would have been well had it not been for the storm. Opa tisked and shook his head, and they sat quietly for a moment, each in their own thoughts. Until Opa looked up at Marcha slyly and asked, How would you like a rabbit with a white fluffy tail? And as Opa twitched his nose and his ears stretched up over his head, all of March's sorrow melted away like butter on warm bread. The years passed, and Marcha grew into a beautiful young woman. Then one day, Opa set out to deliver a barrel full of flour to the baker down the way, leaving Marcha alone to tend the mill. 
She'd just finished sweeping the floors and washing the windows when she heard a knock on the door. Thinking it was one of the local farmers, coming to have their grain milled, she opened the door with a smile. The man who stood before her, though, was not one of the farmers, nor any of the other people from the town. He wore the clothing of a sailor, but the weight of his money belt seemed too great for a seaman. She leaned out the door and could see, off on the distant waves, the massive ship from which he'd come. "'I'm sorry, sir,' she said. "'But my opa only does business with the local farmers. "'We don't have anything to trade.' "'No matter, signorina,' he said with a smile. "'Marcha backed up across the threshold, "'for she saw something in his eye that she didn't quite trust. "'My ship, you see, was caught in a storm, "'and we only wish to know where it is that we are now.' "'so that we may be on our way once more.' "'Marcha gave him the name of the nearest town "'and pointed him toward the river nearby. "'And he was so pleased with her answer "'that he promised her a beautiful golden mirror for her troubles. "'It's only just on board my ship, "'right over there, within sight of your windmill. "'Please, just set aboard with me.' "'and you'll be given a reward for your kindness.' "'Marcha hesitated, but then she thought of her opa "'and how much he might earn by selling off a golden mirror. "'It would certainly be enough to keep them warm and fed all winter. "'So she agreed to go with him to the ship. "'As soon as she stepped foot on the ship, however, "'the sly sailor pulled the gangplank forward and threw her to the deck.' "'You tricked me!' she shouted, fighting her way to the side of the ship so she might fling herself back into the water. "'Let me go! Let me go back to my opa!' "'Enough, signorina,' he said with a scowl, and Marcia stopped fighting, seeing his hand close around the terrible knife at his side. "'My name is Biagio. I am the second son of a king.' and therefore have no claim to an inheritance. But my older brother, Adamo, refuses to marry, and my father has promised a third of the kingdom to whoever can find him a bride. But why should I marry him? Marcha asked, looking out at the shore where Opa's cozy little windmill grew farther and farther away by the minute. And why would he want me? "'He's in love with a statue,' Biagio explained with a sneer. "'A statue he found hidden in a locked room of the palace. "'He will not marry until he finds a woman whose beauty matches.' "'Marcha drew in her breath, for she suddenly suspected what this statue was. "'Does this statue look like me?' she asked. "'It does,' Biagio said. "'As it should, for I know its story. "'I have searched high and low for the lost daughter of the sculptor, "'in hopes that she may bear at least the passing resemblance to her mother. "'Imagine my joy when you open the door of that windmill "'and I saw that indeed you do. 
You shall make my brother happy, and that shall make me rich. With that, Marcha wept, for she knew there was no way that this prince would willingly let her go, knowing that he'd never find anyone to suit his brother's tastes as she did. She leaned over the deck's railing, and her tears fell into the water below. Then suddenly a fish jumped from the water, a fish with bright blue sparkling eyes. "'Opa!' she shouted, and the next time it jumped she caught it in her apron and hastily whispered her plight before dropping it back into the water so it could breathe. All through the rest of the day the fish followed the ship, and Marcha felt comforted by its presence, knowing her opa was there and would not desert her. When night fell, the prince dragged her to his table, demanding that she dine with him. She wept into her soup, as Biagio slurped his. Just then, something tapped at the window, and the prince stood and opened it, peering out into the dark sea. A raven flew forth and landed upon the table. "'Get out, foul bird!' Biagio shouted, waving his arms. Marcha, recognizing the bird's bright blue sparkling eyes, shielded it from him. "'It's harmless! Let it be!' Then the raven spoke, in a voice hoarse and ragged. "'No prize shall be given you, treacherous villain, for the gift that you give is not yours to be given.' Tell your brother of this beautiful one, and your very own body will turn into stone. Biagio shook and shuddered and stumbled from the room. After he left, Marta gently patted the raven's head. Then it flew back out the window, and Marta returned to her chamber, certain that in the morning... She'd find herself once again on the shores beside her windmill, returned to her rightful place. But when morning broke, the ship had not turned around, nor did it the following day, or the next. Marcha spied the blue-eyed fish in the ship's wake, and knowing her opal was there, did not despair. But Biagio became more and more agitated, and rarely slept instead pacing the deck well into the night. When they finally arrived at the far-off kingdom, he brought Marcha directly to the castle and shut her up in a room by herself, save for one small blue-eyed mouse, which followed them in from the harbor. "'You shall meet Adamo in the morning,' he said. You shall present yourself, and you shall tell him that I have sent you to him. I shall not be the one to tell him, and therefore I will not be in danger of that horrid raven's curse. Do not betray me, or I promise you shall regret it. The following morning she was bathed and dressed, and led to the great hall where the Prince Adamo was dining. When he saw her across the room, he rose from his chair and rushed to her, falling at her feet and kissing her hand. 
"'Signorina,' he said, "'there is no beauty like yours. "'Please tell me who brought you to me "'that I may reward him. "'For merely being in your presence, "'I have now known happiness.' "'Marta was shocked, "'for this man was as gentle and sincere "'as his brother was harsh and cruel. "'She looked up and saw Biagio standing in the doorway, "'ready to claim his prize.' But there, at his feet, was a tiny, blue-eyed mouse, and Marcia knew just what to do. "'My opa came with me, your highness,' she said. "'He's watched over my journey to you.' "'Lies!' Biagio shouted. He rushed into the room and grabbed her arm. "'She lies! I have brought her. She is my gift to you. She has no family here, only me. No sooner had he spoken the words than his feet turned the same gray color of the stone floor. Up, up through his legs and then over his chest and arms, the color spread until every last hair on the wicked prince's head was made of stone. And standing beside him, was not a little blue-eyed mouse, but Marcia's very own opa, with bright blue sparkling eyes that looked upon her with pride. And so it came to pass that Prince Adamo courted the beautiful daughter of the sculptor and the dancer. And when they married, her opa, who had overseen her journey to the far-off land, inherited a third of the kingdom. There he built a little windmill, where he lived out his days in peace and quiet, knowing his granddaughter was safe and well-loved. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A quick note, dear listener. 
Wendy's story is based on the Italian fairy tale In Love with a Statue, and a link to the complete text of it can be found in our show notes. Our second story is Soldiers Return by Robert Dawson, whose story A Bend in the Road we featured just last month. Robert teaches mathematics at a Nova Scotian university. When not teaching or doing research, he writes, fences, cycles, and volunteers with a scout troop. His fiction has appeared in Nature, Futures, AE, Compelling Science Fiction, and numerous other periodicals and anthologies. He is an alumnus of the University of Cambridge, Sage Hill, and Viable Paradise. His story is read by a longtime friend of the District of Wonders, Jack Calverley. Jack lives in central London, where he watches a very small patch of land struggle into gardenhood. In even quieter moments, he has been known to narrate science fiction stories for Starship Sofa and horror stories for Tales to Terrify, and also hosted the Crime City Central podcast for its entire two-year run. He is a member of the Tea Party Genre Writers Group, another group called Winos and Critters.org, and having attended two online classes from the Odyssey Writing Workshops, is a member of the Odyssey Online Critique Group, a testament to perseverance if nothing else. He lives online, where he watches a very small patch of website struggle into nethood via the link on our website. And now, Soldiers Return. If a dead woman waits at a window, and nobody is there to see her, what marks the passage of time? The ruined house broods on the shore. The sleety February rain seeps through the rotting shingles, drips through sagging plaster, and trickles down the wallpaper. The hall is festooned with grey scrims of cobweb, hanging so low that even the mice must follow a labyrinthine path between them. A staircase ascends in a broken, sagging arc, its stringers long rotten. The air is dank with the odour of time and decay. Only the parlour is clean and fresh. The waxed floor shines. The wallpaper, though faded, is unstained by damp, and there is a faint scent of lilac and roses. A big window... Twenty panes of glass framed by hand-painted mountains faces sow-sow-east to the harbour mouth. Charlotte stands at the window and looks out to sea, as if searching for the smudge of a ship on the horizon. She is twenty years old. Her dress is in a wartime style, cut to mid-calf to save fabric. The colour, though not the black of personal mourning, is sombre in recognition of those who have died fighting the Kaiser in France and Belgium. Her soldier still lives. Alive, he cannot come to her, but some day, some day he will be free of the flesh. She waits through the years in the calm certainty that on that day her love will draw him back. Beside the window is a pine table flanked by two chairs. In the middle, a crochet doily holds a willow-patterned teapot, a matching milk jug, and two cups. The warming scent of orange pico tea rises from the pot. By one of the chairs is a half-finished letter. A Canadian Forces jet fighter screams low 
over the outer reaches of the harbour, ducking under the scudding rain clouds on its final approach to the Shearwater runway. Charlotte does not see it or hear it. It is not part of her world. Suddenly, silently, Charlotte is no longer alone. She stands motionless for an instant, then she turns and her heart skips a beat. He is wearing his kilt and khaki jacket, just as she remembers from the day the troop ship sailed. Hello, George, she says. Hello, Charlotte. You're here at last. The chaplain broke the news to me just after we disembarked in Halifax. He told me that the influenza had taken you and your father, and that your mother had already gone away to her sister's folks in Bridgewater. So I didn't come out here. She glances at the row of family photographs on the wall, interrupted by two empty nails, where her parents' wedding photograph and the studio photograph from her own sixteenth birthday once hung. I see. I suppose that makes sense. But the war ended in November, and when I got sick in April, you still weren't back. Why did you stay away for so long? There weren't enough ships. The weather was bad and the dock workers were on strike, but mainly General Curry wanted us to come back to Canada as battalions. He wanted us to parade down the streets of our hometowns one last time, with the bands playing and the colours flying, not a dozen of us here and a dozen there at every sailing, like office workers getting off the 5.30 bus. Oh, I wish I could have been there to see that. You look so fine in that uniform, dearest. He looks down at the jacket with the two thin chevrons, at the kilt and the leather sporran, and then up at his own youthful face reflected faintly in the window. You've made me into something I haven't been for sixty years, Shah. He pauses. Don't know that I like it. That young man was a damned fool. He reaches up to the bonnet and adjusts it, by habit, to the approved parade angle. George, please don't say that. I'm sorry, Shah, but he was. Not just about you, about everything. There was so little time, George. You were going off to war, and we had so little time together, and it's natural for a girl to love a soldier, isn't it? She takes an embroidered handkerchief from her sleeve and dabs at her eyes. So I gave you what I had to give, what a woman gives her warrior, and I waited for you to come back. I waited for you. She starts twisting the handkerchief into a rope between her fingers. He pauses for an instant, choosing his words. That was three years I was over there, Shah. Not sixty. You do know it's been sixty years, don't you? No. Has it? I suppose it must have been. Charlotte, I was married twice. One of my granddaughters is older than you. He moves to stand beside her, between her and the desk, and looks out the window. His eyes follow a sea-king helicopter as it skims the waves on a training exercise. The downdraft whips the water to foam, scatters white spindrift in all directions. Married twice? She looks blankly at the young soldier. I would have waited for you, George. This time he says it, 
His voice is quiet but firm. That's not what Tom MacDonald told me. One day when we were trout fishing about twenty years back. She presses the handkerchief to her mouth. Oh, George, that... that should never have happened. He was about to go over to France, and I was so lonely. And you hadn't written for months. I wrote to you whenever I could, Shah, at least once a fortnight. Maybe you did. Maybe a mail ship sank. I don't know. Anyhow, I told Tom he could take me to a dance, because his ship was sailing the next day, and he had nobody else to go with, and later... She begins to sob. He puts a hand on her shoulder. Never mind, Shah. I was hardly a saint myself. When I was on leave in England, a kilty with a few months of the Canadian Army's pay in his sporran was in with the chance with the London girls, and I took that chance more than once. She continues to weep, but after a little she blows her nose and looks up at him with red eyes. Then, oh, George, can we? She tries again over the lump in her throat. Can we forgive each other? It doesn't seem to me there's anything that needs to be forgiven. We were young, that's all. Young and foolish, both of us. He glances down at the table. She follows his eyes. George, please, please, don't read that letter. He shrugs, the gesture of an old man to whom only a very few things are important. Of course not. His eyes go back to the storm-whipped harbour, gazing restlessly out to sea. For an unmeasured time she is silent, her face still, except for tiny motions of her lips. Her eyes hold neither tears nor hope. When she speaks again, her voice is tightly controlled, a little too bright. Will you, will you at least stay for a cup of tea? For the first time he smiles. Why, thank you, I certainly will. It's been months since I've had a good cup of tea. Even in the trenches we could usually manage a decent brew-up, you know. But that stuff at the nursing home was just... horse piss. She giggles at his soldier's language and shows him to a chair. She takes the other chair, sitting with practised poise, smoothing the skirt of her dress under her thighs. Once seated, she pours ceremoniously. Do you still take milk, Corporal? She bats her eyelids in innocent flirtation. Yes, thank you. Just a splash. They sit and sip their tea in silence. Eventually the cups are empty. He rises from the table. She stands too. Must you go, George? It's been so nice to see you again. I'm sorry, Shah, but I really must. George... Before we go, wherever we're each going next, do I still deserve a goodbye kiss, even after everything? He says nothing, but takes her into his arms. She closes her eyes and very slowly raises her lips to his. The parlour is empty now. Outside, night is falling the sleet slowly giving way to wet snow. A drop of water, yellow-brown from the rotten wood of the attic, grows slowly on a crack in the plaster ceiling. Eventually, the drop gathers itself together, 
falls and splatters on the table. Another drop starts to form. And that's all we have for you this week. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page so that we can keep the lights on and the authors paid and also get closer to paying our narrators as well. If you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page or on Twitter. We love hearing from you, our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes or other podcatchers so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. My thanks as always go to Gary Dowell, my editor, and Mark Zanfardino, our audio engineer extraordinaire. Please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it and don't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be visited by a devil in weasel's clothing. That's it for me, everybody. I'm out of here for another week. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.